This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. And I had this nagging feeling. A great belief system. I was capable of so much more. And action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. Never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today, man, I'm honored. You know, we got a, we got a, what I'd call a restaurant legend in here today. That's what I'm going to call you. Yeah, How's I'm, that? I'm a legend in my own mind. <laughs> we have uh, Darone Berger with us. Uh, Darone was hired in 1989 as a partner between the second and the third opening of what we know as St. Louis Bread Company, and maybe some around the country know it as Panera Bread. Uh, but Daron, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's made you the man you are today? Good morning, Brett. Uh, happy to be here. What can I tell you? There's a long story. Uh, the guy who uh, started St. Louis Bread Company, my my partner, uh, Ken Rosenthal, uh, we were neighbors and friends for about, about 10 years prior to me coming to uh, St. Louis Bread Company. And... Uh, Again, we had children the same ages. They went to the same school. We were, again, we were neighbors. And uh, an opportunity came about, and he invited me to come and participate as a partner. There, were, He had two uh, little stores, uh, trying to figure out how to uh, run multiple locations because there's a huge difference between one location and two locations, yep. particularly when you deal with uh, fresh dough that's... Uh, uh, mixed and baked uh, every day at every each of the two stores. So I came on uh, to help him with that, and it was uh, really a great opportunity for me. Um, and what were you doing before that? Uh, I was working for my wife's uh, family business, uh, the woman's ready-to-wear business. I really wasn't crazy about it, but somehow uh, I was there for 18 years because I kind of— <laughs> I got I got used to a paycheck, and it's kind of hard to right. get away from it. Uh, but this opportunity came about, and it was a good move for me. Yeah, I think it's fascinating too. And I think about some of these these types of uh, businesses that turn into something so great, especially for the city of St. Louis. But you ever think about you've probably fed just about every single person in St. Louis. Well, we were lucky that um, we had the right concept at the right time. We didn't know it at the time. Uh, there was never really uh, hope to uh, turn into uh, what has become. Uh, we were we were happy if we could open uh, four or five locations and operate them, make a living, and that was uh, really the goal to uh, uh, that we had. And uh, it, it worked well, and uh, we figured out how to uh, uh, manage uh, the business and uh, not mess it up. And uh, really, it was a a good measure of good luck and uh, dedication and working 12, 15, 18 hours a day. That's what it took in the early days. Yeah. And talk to us about the the story behind, obviously, it's St. Louis Bread Company here. And then I think, what is it, 50 miles and further or something like that, it becomes Panera. So I don't know about you, but when when I'm out of town and I see a Panera, it kind of makes me mad. (laughs) Yeah. Well... Uh, 
So we, um, my partner uh, and I, and then we had another partner join, uh, join us, Myron Clevens, and then we had uh, another guy come on. Um, we sold the company in 1993. So uh, I was with original, really with original bread company for really sh- short four years. Uh, we had 18 locations that were all in St. Louis. Actually, we're signing up for a deal in Columbia, Missouri, uh, 9th and Cherry. I'm thinking about it. There was a old movie house that was uh, closed for maybe 25, 30 years. There was nothing there. A beautiful location, expensive to build. Um, so um, in 1993, when we sold the company, uh, the original partners, uh, we had a two-year uh, contract with. Uh, Obon Pen, the people who bought us, it was a publicly held company. They had about uh, 200 locations, similar business, but not quite uh, the same. Ours was better. Yeah. And uh, uh, Ron Shake, uh, the CEO at Obon Pen, saw what he saw, saw the value. Uh, he paid us a lot of money for it. Uh, we worked uh, again for them for a couple of years. Um, they decided they're going to take the concept. Uh, regionally, nationally, and grow it. And they felt that maybe St. Louis Bread Company was not a great name. They ran some kind of a study, customer intercept, blah, blah, blah. They decided that St. Louis is associated with St. Louis Cardinals mm-hmm. and Anheuser-Busch. <laughs> uh, and they felt that growing nationally maybe was not the right name. And uh, in terms of trademark protection, it was also a little tough because... Uh, it's a domain, it's a public domain name, St. Louis. So uh, even though they had a, a trademark uh, on it, uh, the registration they couldn't get because it was Got a it. public domain. Oh. So they decided to make a change. Uh, it, it was funny, I mean, sort of unusual that my my partner Ken and I uh, opened, uh, we became franchisees of the company we just sold. And we opened uh, the first three locations in 1997 in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we have one, one partner who was our uh, VP of operations, Jeff Rains, who was from Columbus. So we decided to go to Columbus. And uh, again, we opened three locations in 1997 under the name St. Louis Bread Company. In the meantime, the following year, they made a decision that the name will be changed, and the name was Panera Bread. Following year, we, we opened three more locations. We opened them under the name of Panera Bread. Uh, we changed the name of the original three locations to Panera Bread, and we became Panera Bread, uh, and that's uh, the name. Yeah. In terms of St. Louis, why is it still St. Louis Bread Company? Uh, to be honest, I don't know, but I can guess that uh, the name is so strong being a hometown uh, grown company there's a lot of loyalty to the name there's a lot of, a lot of uh, pride of st louis bread being from st louis so uh they left it alone so here it's the only one that's they're called st louis bread company although when you walk in uh there's no different it's all the same menu it's the same deal i know robert's shaking his head over here our producer he feels the same way right it's the pride of st louis so we got to keep the name Thanks for listening to The Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. Every single week we get to come to you, and it's just our honor to get to bring you great guests, uh, great information to help you live the best life that you possibly want to live. Whatever it may be, if you want to live the dream or work the dream, whatever it may be, we're just thankful that you tune in every single week on the Big 550 KTRS. 
Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilloway and your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. You end up becoming one of the largest franchisees for the company that you sold. And if, before we even go there, I thought I think it's interesting that the, the, the company that bought you, they ended up selling their own company they had before you guys and just to focus on the value of St. Louis Bread Company and what you guys built. Correct. In 1999, uh, they decided to divest of... Uh, Obon Pen locations. Uh, uh, when when uh, Obon Pen bought us, their stock I think was priced at twenty two bucks a share. I think uh, uh, thirty days later it went up to twenty seven or twenty eight dollars a share. There was a lot of momentum. Uh, by nineteen ninety seven, the stock was about five dollars a share. It dropped. There, the profits were not there, and uh, we opened in uh, the ensuing two years that we worked for Obon Pen. We opened. 34 locations in two years. That was a big growth. And uh, uh, anyway, uh, we, uh, again, we left and Ken and I uh, became uh, franchisees in Columbus, subsequently became franchisees in Colorado. So uh, we had Columbus, Dayton, and Cincinnati and the entire state of Colorado. And uh, yes, and they divested, they did an asset uh, sale in 1999 they sold uh, Obon Pen actually for a very small price because it wasn't profitable. They, all that was remaining was uh, St. Louis Bread Company. They changed the name to Panera Bread. They changed the name of the public entity from Obon Pen to uh, uh, ticker symbol ABPCA to uh, Panera Bread, PNRA, and uh, the rest is uh, history and we all know it. Rest is history. That's great. And so then you guys rode that uh, into, what was it? Last April 2017, when they sold Panera Bread for $7.5 billion. Uh, correct. That's uh, a lot of bagels. They made, uh, they made a lot of money. And I know that uh, uh, there were commercials when Ron Shake uh, uh, named himself the founder. And I, in, in a way, he is the founder because he has created a company that it is today. Uh, I mean, think about it. This company is 25. We're talking about 25 years has passed since we sold the company and with all the technology uh, improvements and all the initiative that they took, it's really, it's a different company uh, uh, than it was at that, at that time. But at the core, it's still the same thing. The bread is uh, mixed and made every day. Uh, it's shipped raw to each location. Each location bakes it on premises. It's fresh. It's not, uh, partially baked or frozen or any of that stuff. So the initial core values, speaking of core values, yeah. the initial core values of the concept, uh, it's still there because that's what, that was a differentiation between a Panera Bread, St. Louis Bread Company, and a competitor where they partially bake the product or they freeze it, and it's a different product. And the customers are very, very astute, astute and they understand uh, the quality, uh, maybe not... Uh, uh, specifically, but they understand it by the, the quality of the product. Yep. So we got a lot of business leaders that may have multiple locations. And, and we were talking about this earlier is, you know, one location is one thing, but when you start to add two and three and, you know, then a hundred, how do you keep the consistency and the brand the same? Well, it, when people ask me, what was the key to success? And I always say is uh, one, one of the very important points of our success was the fact that we were able to adjust the business as we grew. Because when you operate one location, 
is not the same as, as you operate two. And when you operate five, it's not the same as you operate two. Con- continuously upgrading and updating the systems that, to adjust to the uh, uh, needs of the business as it grows. And that in, in, in terms of training manuals, in terms, on, in, in terms of hiring price practices, in terms of benefits and so on, as you grow, you need to make these adjustments. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to uh, succeed. And I think, you know, as business leaders, we can get so caught up in the day-to-day and, you know, I got to do this and I got to do that and here's a list of things I got to do. But how much time, because I'm a big believer and you got to slow down to speed up. I say that to people in our firm all the time. And how much time did you guys as leaders spend on strategy and slowing down versus the, the normal day-to-day type stuff? Well, early on, um, we were we were working what it seemed twenty four seven, literally, um, and we were trying to figure out the concept as we went along, and we were making improvements and changes as uh, as we observed the customers' reaction. The key was to spend a, a lot of time in the store itself, in the restaurant, and we did, and we knew we interacted with customers, and we understood. Uh, what the needs are, and people were very uh, good about keeping in touch with us. We had business. We had uh, comment cards, and at that time there was no electronics, so we had paper comment cards, and we were religiously reading them, all of them personally. We would call the various people who wrote to us about mm. issues and try, and if it made sense, try to implement. Uh, their ideas and uh, got to be open-minded and flexible. So you weren't delegating that to other people. Uh, no, we, we were, were doing, it. we're delegating. We, you know, at one time, at one point we hired a, uh, uh, you know, uh, district manager, so to speak, to, to be uh, in charge of the general manager of the, of the stores. But uh, the idea is always, and, and again, the, the, the rhythm and the values come from the top. I firmly yeah. believe that. And, uh, so you said something there I want to dive into that I thought was uh, an aha for me is you, you said we, we figured out the concept as we went along, right? And so I think so many times, and I see it, I'm sure you see it, I'm sure Robert sees it, is is that, what is it, paralysis by analysis, right? Everybody's got to have something perfect before they take that next step and step out of their comfort zone to go make something happen. Whereas you guys were just, we got we to gotta figure it out as we go. When, when, when Ken and I uh, were operating... The first, uh, you know, the first two stores. So it's really between July '89, December '89, because in December we opened uh, Clayton and Baxter location with our third location. Uh, we would drive from one one uh, bakery to the next, and we were talking about some things, and we were able to implement the stuff as soon as we arrived there. <laughs> it wasn't like a whole thing. There were only two locations. Imagine today there are over 2,200 locations around the country. Imagine making a change or introducing a product or or changing the menus. Uh, think about the monumental organization it takes behind it to get it done, to yeah. actually get it accomplished. So uh, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, um, again making those changes as you grow and adapting to the to the new size and new challenges. Yep. So what's the best leadership advice you ever received? <sighs> Well, listen, uh, n- n- nothing uh, works as hard work, dedication, and believing in what you do. And actually, having early success is a very powerful thing because that enables you to, to go forward. If, con- if you have a failure again and again and again and again, uh, I, I, I believe it won't 
can lose trust in what one does because there is no, no, no reward. You know, that reward, the little successes, I think are very important. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it's hard, right? It, like you said, if you do continue to fail, we, we always talk about you want to learn from failure and all that, but that little taste, right? That, that little, luxury once tasted becomes a necessity, and uh, that, that's probably what it was for you guys. And, and listen, uh, it, it's, it's important, to, whatever you do, whether it's a restaurant or any other business, it's important to know that you are with a concept that works. If financi- if, if the concept may be great, but if financially doesn't work, it's not going to work. Yep. Because ultimately, you want to make be able to make a living at it. You're not doing it for uh, for fun, unless you're very wealthy. Then you can do for fun whatever right. you want. That's right. That's right. So while we're talking about failures here, I mean, was there any any turning point for you guys that you said, "Gosh, we're really failing here," and we had to adapt and we had to change? And if there was, what was that failure, and how did you battle through it? Well, listen, we we happen to be in a business uh, that even if you made a mistake, uh, customers immediately react to it, reacted to it, and you knew there was a mistake, uh, and then you can make a change. For instance, uh, in the early days, when I say early days, I want to say 1991, uh, we figured out that we're going to bring French pastries into the cafes. They were wonderful. We hired a French pastry chef. He was a great local guy, uh, wonderful guy. We, we introduced refrigerated bakery cases in every location. We must have had seven, eight locations introduced that in there. And the product was great. The problem is it wasn't selling. Mm. It wasn't selling enough. It wasn't enough, didn't, didn't represent enough to, to, to uh, really be rewarding and to make sense. And uh, we tried it. We tried it for a year maybe, and we saw it didn't work. We killed it. Right. So... Again, if you have a business, if you make a mistake and it's not fatal, it gives you an, 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 the ability to change. When you see it doesn't work, you move on. Yep. Yeah, you hear the old hire slowly, right? fire quickly. I mean, did you guys adopt to that theory? Well, you know, we probably did, but we didn't, we didn't realize that we did. <laughs> we didn't know. It's the same thing, you know, with our, with our concept. It's actually interesting. We created, really, we were probably the first, certainly the first in this area, probably uh, one of the first around the country that we invented a new segment of the industry without knowing that we invented a new segment of yeah. the industry. Uh, the fast casual, the quick casual is what we we were. Uh, we were really positioned between a fast food, like a McDonald's, and a sit-down uh, lunch, say like a uh, uh, Applebee's. Right. Uh, and that that was that segment in between with a uh, fresh, freshly prepared food, uh, quick so people can get in and out, especially for lunch where you don't have a whole lot of time. It basically invented an entire industry. Uh, in- invented a new concept, and today, I mean, a, a segment really. And today, there are lots of them competing for in that space. That's right. When you hear the word attitude, uh, I you know again, attitude, beliefs, action ultimately gets you the results. So when you hear the word attitude, what comes to mind for you? Well, look, uh, when you have a number of uh, partners with uh, strong uh, personalities, everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to push forward their own uh, uh, feelings. Um, uh, and in, in, in a partnership or in a, a board of directors, uh, you want opposing views. Because if everybody says yes, it's not a very good board. In other words, you want uh, push and pull 
to be able to analyze a particular situation. And when it comes to attitude, obviously, you need to have a positive attitude about what you're going to do, believe in what you're going to do, but you also have the naysayers, bean counters. They say, oh, this is not going to make sense, costing too much money. And I, I've been on both sides of the equation where I, w- I was very uh, enthusiastic about a particular thing. Then I was very pessimistic about others. If you talk to real estate guys, they're always very optimistic about things. <laughs> they're always very optimistic. Oh, this is going to be great, great location, great traffic, left in, right out, all this stuff. And at the end, you have, hold on a second here. We don't like the demographics. We don't like... There really is a level of education in this particular area. So there's always that push and pull. And uh, again, how, how does it tie into attitude? It's this debate that ultimately you come up with a decision. Yeah, yeah and I think it's, it is a choice, though, too, right? I mean, you've you, know, you got to choose how you're going to look at that situation. If it's a bad real estate deal or whatever it may be, it's your choice. We've made, we've made plenty of mistakes. Again, they were not fatal. This is Brett Gilliland with Circuit of Success. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilliland, your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. So when you look at belief systems, we talked about this earlier, is um, you talked about being flexible, right? Is it, and I'd never really had that thought before. Um, but as a belief system, you know, you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe in your product. You got to believe in the vision of what you're building. But you did talk about earlier that People sometimes make decisions for you, and you just got to adapt and be flexible. Right. So in terms of a belief system, I think that ultimately, uh, I think ultimately good guys come out on top. And what do I mean about that? You got to treat people fairly. You got to treat people with respect, regardless of their, you know, financial situation, education level, uh, social status. Everybody has feelings. And everybody needs to be treated with respect. And, uh, and people understand s- sincerity. When you say something, if you're sincere, people know that you're sincere. And if you're not, they know it's an act. So I think system of beliefs, I think you have to be righteous. You have to do what's right. And, uh, and I think uh, there is a certain positive karma that comes along with that stuff. Yep. If people listen in terms of business business segment in terms of belief we always believe they're paying our suppliers on time early or on time never late because we knew that if uh, we need something they're going to jump jump on it immediately uh, small businesses small restaurants especially sometimes are known for not paying their bills on time dragging their feet not because that's because it's, uh, it's just the economics uh, dictates it uh, I remember one specific case. We had a uh, turkey breast supplier. Something happened with the distribution, and we were going into a weekend. Didn't, they didn't have turkey breast. So you, oh, have, you have a dozen stores, a dozen locations, no turkey breast. Go tell a customer who wants to do a turkey sandwich that uh, something happened. They don't want to hear that. That doesn't end so well. So we called, our, we called our broker at the time. I remember vividly. It was Bill Maher Turkey, made somewhere in Wisconsin. We told them. Uh, it's not acceptable. We need to have uh, the turkey. He and his uh, boss jumped in a pickup truck, refrigerated cabinets. They drove to Wisconsin, picked up the turkey, brought it back. We had turkey for the weekend. So you know what? When, uh, when, when you treat people correctly, it, it comes back to you uh, in many, many ways. 
When you look back and, and you look at that run that you guys had, and, and now you look at this, and I mean, what a brand and what a great story. Talk to me about enjoying the journey, right? People my age, you know, in their 40s, we're talking about that. You know, it's craziness with kids and running around and doing things. But how do we, how do we enjoy yeah. the journey? And did you enjoy the journey? Yeah, it was an amazing journey. Uh, and it still is, actually. Uh, I joined, uh, again, uh, St. Louis Red Company in 1989. I was 41 years old. I was about your age. And uh, after being for uh, 20 years or more in a, you know, a different business, uh, I was actually trained as a, a, a jet uh, planes mechanic. I served in the Israeli Air Force. So I had a little different career uh, early on. And, um, uh, and I know you had a guest, I think, a week or two ago. What's her name? Yeah. Karen Eldad. Yeah. And I was reading that she, anyway, I, I've never met her, but uh, I was reading she served in the, in the Israeli Air um, military anyway uh <clears throat> the journey was amazing to me it's like a movie i almost feel like i want to write a book um with all the ins and outs and all the details that we've gone through and and every day was like a you know a day felt like a week it was so much going on every day that uh and accomplishing so much especially in the early years um uh, 1997 again we uh started opening uh, bakery cafes and uh uh, Columbus and Ohio. Eventually, we uh, opened uh, 51 locations in Ohio, our franchise group. Wow. And then in 2000, uh, started uh, developing um, bakery cafes in Colorado, specifically started in Denver. And uh, eventually, we opened uh, 40 locations in Colorado. And uh, it's it's been an unbelievable journey. I so mean, it was all said been, and done. How many did you guys open? Uh, we opened about ninety locations. Ninety and and uh, in um, that's a lot of learning. That is book worthy yeah, deal. Yeah, so if somebody's I mean, a book writer that wants to write a book for yeah, you. Maybe, well, look I, look I, us out. I'm not good. I'm not good <laughs> enough uh, to to write about. If I could use some uh, help from somebody, I could certainly. There's a lot to share, and uh, um, I already have the. I already have the title for it. I like it. Living the dream. Living the dream. I like it. Living the dream. Guys, living the dream. Yeah. So along that dream, though, there were some fears that probably were built in there, right? As you guys were building this up. And the question I always ask people is, how many of the fears you put in your mind actually blew up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Honestly, uh, uh, Ken is only five years older than I. I'm 70. He's 75. I can I can tell it. You let him know that, right? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, but he was always, I always consider him a mentor to me. I learned a lot from him, actually. And to be honest honest with you, I was never fearful these past, uh, you know, 20, uh, almost 30 years, 29 years. I was really never, never, really never had a fear. We were always, we're personally, you know, signed on loans at the bank, we stick our neck out for, for the debt and so on. But I was really never, never fearful. I never lost sleep uh, because I was afraid that the business will not be successful. I mean, I lost sleep over things, you know, the minutia of the day, day-to-day operations and the challenges. But I really, I was never really, it, it was a wonderful, really, I, thinking back, it was a wonderful position to be in, not to be afraid of failure or losing everything or and so on and i didn't have much but whatever you have you don't want to lose right so uh it, it, for me it was a, a really a gift so again we're here with jerome Berger, uh one of the original uh partners in 1989 the panera bread company st louis bread company 
And when you th- when you think about that journey, um, I mean, what would you what would you go back to 1989 and tell tell that guy? What would you tell him today? Well, first of all, I was handed a gift when when Ken invited me. Again, we were good friends. We were going out uh, for dinner. We we're spending a lot of time. I was sort of you know advising him on certain things. He was bouncing ideas off me, and uh, and and um, uh, I, you know, and I enjoy doing it. And I remember one uh, uh, one evening in May, it was a Friday night. Uh, we went out for dinner, the four of us. Uh, uh, he, he and uh, Linda and my wife and I. I remember we went to uh, Rich and Charles at Clayton and One Forty One. Little we had dinner there, and and this is when we made the deal. And my original deal with <laughs> Ken was written on a little napkin, believe it or not, and. and uh, and uh, we we really never had a formal agreement signed for a year or two, uh, but uh, uh, the, we had that kind of relationship that yeah. we didn't have to worry about not living up to the original uh, deal. So it, it, again, we we uh, you know really we I, I lived a, a dream. If anybody would write himself a ticket, you know, how would your life uh, be? How would you like it to turn? out this is what i would want it to turn wow. out like how do you find define success my definition of success is to be content where you are what you have done what you have accomplished uh i think we all all of us feel now and then that you could have done more have accomplished more uh, uh but on the other hand you have to feel content that you've uh, traveled the journey and uh you are uh, in a good place. Yep. Well, Mr. Jerome Berger, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Circuit of Success. Uh, thank you for coming in this morning to the studio, and thank you uh, for all the wisdom you just shared with us and to our listeners. Glad to be here, and I wish uh, uh, success to all your listeners. And hopefully if I was able to uh, uh, impress uh, with one idea, with one, one thought, uh, and they can put it in action and help themselves be my greatest accomplishment. Thanks for listening to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, and each and every single week, we're going to bring you a great guest, whether that's a, a business leader, a professional sports star, an author, whatever it is, we're going to bring you as much as we possibly can to help you live your best life. We get to dive into the roads that these people travel, the, uh, the successes, the struggles, the fears that they put in their own minds, and do what they've done to become successful. And so we look forward to bringing that to you every single week. If you want more on our firm, Visionary Wealth Advisors, check us out online at visionarywealthadvisors.com. You can also find the show's website at circuitofsuccess.com. We'll be back next week with another great guest on the Circuit of Success. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 